0: Lust versus self-control, hatred versus kindness, selfish ambition versus joy, murder versus gentleness. Sounds like quite a series of contrasts, doesn't it? They are polar opposites, like night and day. Well, that's exactly the situation when we contrast what we might want to do versus what God wants us to do. Or as we'll see in a few moments, what the Bible describes as the lusts or works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. So, stick with us as we further probe this continual tug-of-war between the flesh and the Spirit.
1: Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast, brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program.
0: Welcome to another edition of the Bible Questions podcast. My name is Jeff, and with me today is my co-host, Brian. How are you doing today, Brian? hey doing well jeff and looking forward to talking about this spiritual battle yes brian indeed it is a battle i think a struggle within each of us you know as we attempt to you know be faithful uh, to be uh, children of god and it is a challenge because you know the kinds of things that that we might want to do either you know kind of fleshly desires worldly desires or just worldly ambitions would take us in paths and take us to actions and thoughts that definitely God would not want us to do, and vice versa. He might have some things that he would want us to do that we just kind of bulk at and don't want to do. So it's as you said, kind of like a spiritual battle or tug of war or whatever other analogy you want to use.
1: Yeah. And as human beings, it's so critical that we understand there is in fact a spiritual battle that is going on, not just within us, but with you know the influence of the devil, with the positive influence of the scriptures. And so it's so critical that we understand this spiritual battle and how we can utilize the power that God has given us to win that battle. Now, one of the things Jeff we've talked about in some previous episodes is how spiritual growth is vitally important as a Christian. And one of the first things that should happen and really needs to happen once we're baptized for the remission of our sins, is to be able to cast off what we might call the works of the flesh or what the Bible calls the works of the flesh. And so we want to take a look at, you know, in these next couple of episodes, this episode today, we're going to look at the works of the flesh and we'll get into what all of that means. And then in the next episode, we want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And so, to do that, we'd like our listeners, if you have a Bible handy, please turn over with us to Galatians chapter 5. This will be the section of scripture that's really our primary anchor, if you will, that we'll continue to come back to. Because in this section of scripture, we see both the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And so, the other thing I want to mention is we have a lot of listeners around the world who use many different translations some of which are not just English reading translations, some are in their native language. And so what you will notice as you read through and as we read through these works of the flesh, the words that are used may vary a little bit. So what Jeff and I would like to do in this episode is to give definitions of what the Bible says are different works of the flesh. And then we want to take a look at Bible passage or two for each of these things that we should be casting off to see what the Bible has to say about it. So, Jeff, that kind of just gives us a rough outline. But ultimately, our goal here is to help our listeners to understand that there is indeed a battle that every human being will face. And for us to be able to become spiritually mature, to spiritually grow, we have to understand first and foremost that there are fleshly lusts that God expects us to cast off. Once we've committed our lives
0: to him. Right. And appreciate that introduction. Yeah. As we get into Galatians chapter five, particularly verses 16 through 25 or so, we'll realize pretty quickly that this is an exceedingly dense passage. And when I say dense, there's just a lot of teaching, a lot of individual words that have meaning as, as Brian alluded to. And they're just all over the map so to speak so there's a lot of different aspects a lot of different words and so we'll have to kind of go through this kind of carefully to unpack uh, and kind of probe uh, what the passage means and as we've said before brian with a lot of our emphasis on bible authority and bible study one of the key things we need to do is look at the overall context uh, before we get into the individual you know versus individual words and in this particular context, there's kind of like two bookend verses, so to speak, or, or parts, passages, if you will, You know, starting off with verses uh, 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And then finally, near the end of that particular passage, Verses 24 and 25, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we have these two passages that are kind of at the beginning at the end. And let's kind of unpack those a little bit. There's references to, in verse you know, 16, 17, to walking, living, you know, a manner of life. You know, how we conduct ourselves, you know, on a daily basis. There's a lot of references to the word Spirit. Now, ultimately, you know, we would be talking about the Holy Spirit, which was responsible for inspiring men to speak and write down God's will. But there's also perhaps a secondary reference to our own spirit or our own will, you know, verse uh, 17, where it talks about uh, do not do the things that you wish. So there's that aspect as well flesh variety of meanings as you look through the scriptures to include just our physical bodies but also what we might call our sensuous nature or our earthly nature with all of its desires and and passions etc lusts against or contrary to so those particular words have a pretty strong you know reference to a struggle or a battle brian as you you mentioned earlier to the point of you you know really strong emotions as well and as we've said you know it's anyways the age-old struggle between good and evil within us. Now this extended passage is you know not by itself. You know, there's similar thoughts elsewhere Matthew 26 verse 41 where Jesus talks about the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Romans 8, several verses in that particular chapter let we just kind of uh, cherry pick a few verse one verse 5 verse 13. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. And even later on in, in Galatians chapter six, verses seven and eight, where you know Paul kind of switches analogy a little bit to a, more of a farming analogy. Uh, it says, quote, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And so that, now that kind of takes us up to, you know, roughly verse 19, you know, within this context, where it talks about, now the works of the flesh are evident. I found, Brian, a, a, some interesting thoughts here. You know, works of the flesh, interesting Greek word there, ergon, if I'm saying that correctly basically refers to a business an employment a toil uh, you know a deed you know laboring active busy you know these are things that our fleshly nature passions desires you know really want and are more than willing to invest the time and effort to actually achieve them another word that's in there evident manifest apparent publicly known plainly recognized according to one dictionary that i looked up at least plainly recognize when you view it through the lens of God's word and not necessarily viewed through the lens of what we might call popular culture or modern day morality, you know, different standards, so to speak. So yeah, as as we said, you know, the words that follow, Brian, very densely packed list of terms. And honestly, uh, depending on your translation, some that we may not typically use today in common usage. So we'll kind of slow down at this point and carefully unpack the list and you try to get the most out of it. Brian, let me uh, toss it over to you to kind of get us started.
1: Definitely. And, you know, it's interesting, Jeff, I appreciate first and foremost that you define terms such as, you know, spirit, flesh, lust against, and so forth. Sometimes these are terms when we're first starting to study the Bible that, We don't necessarily understand so i appreciate you taking time to define those in first peter chapter 2 and verse 11 peter here says beloved i beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul so as we go through this list that we see here in galatians chapter 5 we will recognize just as human beings in general that these sins war against our soul. They erode our soul. They take us farther away from God. And so it becomes evident just based on the different terms that we're going to study that we really want nothing to do with these things. And the other important point I'd like us all to consider is that it's not something when you first become a Christian and you're baptized, it's not always easy to rid ourselves of these things. It may take time to understand why it's a bad thing. Now, there are some things like adultery that we're going to talk about first that really we have to stop immediately. That's not something we can just sort of work our way out of. But there are other things, you know, maybe lust that we have that we have to train ourselves to instead do what God would have us to do. And when we get into the fruit of the Spirit, we'll get more into detail on that. So as you read, Jeff, in verse 16, he starts out here, Uh, The Apostle Paul, uh, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, by saying, you know, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. So we have this war that's going on within us, if you will. They are contrary to one another, verse 17 says. And what is the result of that? Well, it can cause us to do the things that we do not want to do, as the rest of that verse says. And so in verse 19, we now have a list and I'll just read through these and then we can start diving into each one of these individually. Verse 19 says, and this is in the New King James, by the way. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, Jeff, that's quite a laundry list there, isn't it, of things that we must cast off?
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And when we were, you know, kind of introducing the lesson and talking about the you know, works of the flesh and the lust of the flesh. you know many people in our audience may immediately think in terms of sensual, sexual, you know, looking on a woman to lust after her, etc., those kinds of things. But as this list shows, it does include those kinds of sexual things, but much, much, much more than that. So uh, yeah, as as we get into this, we'll see it as an exceedingly uh, deep subject. indeed, it is. And so the first one, is adultery
1: and so when we think about this word adultery it you know really just means having unlawful intercourse with the spouse of another there's also fornication which is a similar word it's a more generic term which just covers you know all illicit sexual intercourse so this would include things like homosexuality bestiality anything like that that's an illicit sexual act adultery however is very specific within fornication because it covers the marriage relationship. So once again, if we have intercourse with the spouse of another, that's considered to be adultery. And so one of the principles the Bible teaches is that sexual relations are only meant for marriage. And so because the Bible has made that clear, then we should safely conclude that all other types of sex are condemned. In fact, we know that because as we talked about fornication and all the passages in the Bible that condemn these illicit sexual acts. And so one example is over in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 27 and 28. Here, Jesus is making a comparison to what people have heard or felt that the Bible was teaching, or in this case, it would have been the old law was teaching, and Jesus is clarifying what he means here. And he's also teaching that it's more than just the physical act. We can actually commit spiritual adultery by our thoughts. And so he says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we have the physical act that's condemned, and really, we have this mental act that's also condemned. And so, you know, for most, they might think, well, I thought it was just the physical act. Well, no. If we're lusting and going through the act in our mind, oh, I sure would like to do this with that person. Jesus is making it clear that's also considered adultery. And Jeff, I'm not sure everybody would have always made that application right, but it's an important one to understand.
0: Yeah, well, definitely. Um, And maybe even to a greater extent in our modern culture from a couple different perspectives. One is the way sometimes women tend to dress in our culture, you know, particularly in the summertime, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other is the two clicks away immediate access to an infinite amount of pornography, you know, uh, on the internet, for example. So, yeah, you know, appreciate you bringing forward that it's not just the act, but it's also the thoughts that would lead. To the act. The other verse that I was reminded of over in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, you know, and again, here we have a contrast, again, works of the flesh, fruits of the spirit, but we have a contrast in that passage, Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but in contrast, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The other thing I might toss out is I think it's in Matthew 19, where it talks about marriage, you know, one man, one woman for life with you know only one exception. So you know everything outside of that, uh, you know, as you pointed out in terms of you know sexual desire or overt sexual acts uh, are you know part of the quote unquote, works of the flesh. Now Brian, it's interesting that with some of the words you know in our list that we there's multiple words that are kind of related on a similar topic and almost like different aspects, right? So you know, you talked about adultery, and fornication which are the first two well the next two kind of continue that thought the first one being and again depending on your translation uncleanness and the second one being lewdness now for the first one you know uncleanness based on what i found it's a greek term that it you know, has a range of meanings i mean can actually can be you know being physically you know dirty out in the garden got a bunch of dirt on your hand whatever to include, like, filth and or decay, what is going on in a tomb, for instance, you know, decaying, rotting flesh, etc. But in this context, you know, between adultery, fornication, and lewdness, which we'll explore in in a few moments, it has more of like a figurative or a moral sense, if, if I could use that term, impurity of sexual or sensual or lustful living, for instance. And one of the things that we'll kind of see as we kind of go through our study here is the same Greek word is used in other passages, and we can use those passages to better inform, you know, our understanding in many cases of what the word means. For example, you know, if you go over to Romans first chapter, beginning roughly around verse 24, you know, the same word is used there. And I'll highlight here as we go through it, uh, beginning with verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, there's our word, in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So we see in that passage, even though the, depending on your translation, the word homosexuality, uh, homosexual acts, et cetera, is not mentioned with that word, homosexuality. It's certainly describing the act, and certainly within that context, it's referring to it as uncleanness. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, talk about those who have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness, which they have practiced. And likewise, you know, Colossians 3 5. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. Uh, so we see, you know, certainly the, the sensual, sexual, you know, overtones to the word uncleanness. Likewise with lewdness. Now, now we're kind of even a little bit, maybe a more sensual, more than just sexual kind of thing. Uh, likewise from the Greek term, which means unbridled lust, excess licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence. And of course, in that particular dictionary citation, there's some words in there that we typically don't use today, but a lot of them do have, you know, sexual overtones. And again, similar passages, Romans 13, 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust. First Peter 4, 3, for we have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties. So in this particular case with lewdness, I might describe it as, you know, unrestrained, excess to include, you know, promiscuous, lustful, lecherous, etc. What you might see, for instance, at, you know, quote-unquote, you know, wild drinking parties, dancing parties, you know, bachelor parties, even to the point, you know Mardi Gras uh, in New Orleans or Carnival in Brazil, that is kind of like you know unrestrained, unbridled excess, for instance. Brian, anything you want to add for either uh, uncleanness or lewdness?
1: Well, as you know we look at these first four terms, hopefully our listeners get the sense that God requires spiritual and physical purity. And so we can understand why committing things like adultery or you know being unclean and lewd and so forth, makes us impure, you know, and there are many passages that talk about how God does not want us to approach him. If we're impure, if we're sinful, he expects purity. And so hopefully it's just, you know, it makes sense, Jeff, to everybody that these are things that we absolutely must take out of our lives if we want to be considered acceptable to God.
0: Exactly. And as we, I think one of the last words we'll eventually see in this series is self-control and in some ways as kind of make our make this point as we kind of go through this lesson with adultery fornication the implicit looking that leads up to it the unrestrained excess of sensuality however you want to phrase that mm-hmm. in many ways kind of boils back to having that sense of self control which god you know wants us to have because of all the harm if you will that can easily happen to us, you know, physical harm, medical harm, sexually transmitted diseases, you know, broken homes, et cetera, that can result when we let our, at least within this particular context, our our hormones, so to speak, you know, get the better of us. Absolutely. And
1: so we look at the next two terms, starting with idolatry. And when you look at idolatry, it's just image worship, and I'm sure many of our listeners know from the old law. How idolatry was a huge problem. As a matter of fact, it really led Israel down a path where God had to send them off into captivity. And so, you know, we know that the worship of physical idols was condemned under the old law when you look at the Ten Commandments, right? You will have no other gods before me. And it's also applicable to the law of Christ today. And so, you know, Jeff, I think most people understand that you know, we shouldn't be worshiping a physical object, some idol that some man made. However, the Bible also teaches us that anything we worship can be a figurative idol. And an example of that we can find over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, where it tells us, therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so You know, sometimes people don't necessarily think about, once again, much like adultery, that there's a spiritual element here. But it definitely, Jeff, goes beyond just that physical idol worship. And it includes spiritual aspects like covetousness, because we're giving it our attention. We're giving it worship, if you will, from a spiritual perspective.
0: Right. And, you know, that opens the door in many ways to a lot of things that we, you know, might be interested in which, you know, being interested in something, you know, like a hobby or, or whatever, you know, it might be fine. But if it starts to dominate your life, if you spend a lot of your time or excess, an excessive amount of your time, you know, focusing on it, doing it, practicing, you know, acquiring the, the, the tools or the skills to go do it, and it starts to interfere with your spiritual life, well, what are you putting first? Well, I'm putting my Whatever I'm putting my job first, I'm putting my hobby first. I'm putting, you know, I'm participating in sports, so I'm putting that first. You know, you you name it, whatever the case may be. If if I'm putting that quote unquote first, and you know, God is like a well, second place, third place, <laughs> whatever. Yes, we're basically be, you know giving that our, you know, attention. I hesitate to, to use the word worship, but we're certainly putting it first, right?
1: Most definitely. All right. So the next term we want to consider is sorcery. And sorcery, in the King James, you would see the word witchcraft. And, you know, certainly depending on which translation you use, you might have other words. Uh, Some, you know, it it means magic, literally or figuratively. And it's a word, when you look at the original Greek word, it's only used three times in the Bible. And so we look at Acts chapter 8, if you have your Bible handy. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Let's read verses 9 through 13. This is one case where we read about sorcery. And so verse nine of Acts eight says, but there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs, which were done. So here you have Simon, the sorcerer, somebody who's practicing magic, or really he's you know doing things, tricks, if you will, to make the people think that he has a special power when in fact he didn't have anything and we know that because when philip came along and we see that you know the apostles and disciples if the apostles had laid hands on them had the ability to perform miracles he knew what they were doing was real and he of course knew what he was doing was false and so you know i'm not sure how many people would say that hey i know somebody that practices sorcery but really if you think about it uh, whether it's magic or things like palm reading or witchcraft or whatever you know these things are that are being introduced are not only false uh, and in fact in some cases those who are performing it believe that they have some special power but it's led many people astray because it's deceiving and it leads them down a path of following men who could be teaching a variety of things and and so certainly we would understand why something like this is on the list because it's contrary to God's will. And God has not given anyone today because spiritual gifts have ceased the ability to perform any kinds of miracles. So when you look at, for instance, the Pentecostal religion and how they claim to be able to speak in tongues. Well, we know that they can't because speaking in tongues is speaking a language that you do not understand. And if you were to go to a Pentecostal worship service, what you would see is a bunch of gibberish and words that people don't understand. And their argument would be, well, I'm speaking a language only the Holy Spirit can understand. Well, that's not what we see in the Bible. In the Bible, when men spoke in tongues through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were just simply speaking in a language that was not their native language. And the hearers, knowing that, knew that it had to be from God because, once again, they're speaking a language that's not their native language. So anyhow, Jeff, this is just one where you know, we can certainly understand why it would be condemned.
0: Right, exactly.
1: So if we look at the next word, how about hatred, Jeff? What does the Bible teach us about hatred?
0: Yeah. And again, here's another transition to almost like a series of words that kind of are related, you know, different aspects. But a lot of them have kind of, their root in what I would call anger, just kind of generally speaking. So with hatred, for instance, from the Greek meaning enmity, hostility, being at odds with one another, being an enemy, you know, the opposite of friendship. And of course we can see that contrast in passages like Luke uh, chapter 23, verse 12, which interestingly describes the relationship that Pilate and Herod had that was, you know, at enmity, at odds. They were enemies until, you know, Pilate did some things, you know, during the trial of Jesus and, you know, they became friends. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Here's another example of the contrast. Because the carnal mind is enmity, there's our word, against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. James 4 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is? enmity with God, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And, you know, given all these kinds of words and, and synonyms about hostility and enmity, you know, where I tend to think of, for example, you know, the kind of animosity or hatred that perhaps a racist feels, you know, toward others just because of the color of their skin for instance, or some of the, what I would call bitter political rivalries that are going on that the, you know, person or persons on the other side of the aisle, so to speak, you know, they can do no right. And just that animosity and hatred, et cetera. Or for instance, what some people unfortunately experience in a uh, dysfunctional uh, family relationship, dysfunctional marriage relationship that ends in what we might call a bitter divorce uh, with people just being so, you know, against each other, you know, that's, that's the kind of the word that we're seeing in this particular case. Brian, anything you want to add before we move on to contentions? Yeah, you know, Jeff, many countries
1: have had ongoing turmoil, in some cases for decades, because of hatred. And so it's so critical for our listeners and for us as Christians to understand that that is not acceptable to God. You know, instead, God teaches us that we are to love. In fact, uh, you know, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount talked about loving your enemies and doing good to those who hate you and persecute you. And so I bring that up because I just feel like sometimes when you have these decade old, you know, rivalries, or if you will, or contentions, or ultimately hatreds, some people feel justified in perpetuating that. But Let's be clear here. This is something that we are to cast off, and this is not to be a characteristic of a Christian.
0: Yeah, good point. The other thing is if we view you know hatred as an emotion, it tends to be not just a, oh, I don't know if I want to say passive emotion. It's typically not something that you just experience within yourself and nobody knows about it. You know, usually it will lead to other things, right? The way you act toward people, the things you say toward people, your mouth is going to get you in trouble because if you're just boiling with anger, you're typically not, or hatred, you're not going to uh, keep it in. You're usually going to act on it. And now we're into other things like slander and gossip and uh, other things we'll see later on in this passage.
1: Yeah, that's right. In fact, it's, as you pointed out earlier, you know, we see this with the next word, right? Hatred leads into what? Contention.
0: Contentions. And here's another interesting Greek word which means strife, wrangling, quarreling, arguing, debating, disputes. Interestingly, Romans chapter 1 verse 29, it's in the context of envy and murder. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11 and 12, it's in the context of uh congregational divisions and vying for power and a name for just so to speak as paul says there for it has been declared to me concerning you my brethren by those of chloe's household that there are here's our word contentions among you now i say this that each of you says i am of paul or i am of apollos or i am of cephas or i am of christ you know people rallying around people other people right with certain degree of pride and starting to contend, you know, with one another. And, you know, to some degree, we kind of see that with religious denominations, you know, rallying around, you know, the Pope or rallying around Luther or Wesley or et cetera. Uh, Continuing on first Corinthians chapter three, verse three says, for you are still carnal for where there are envy, strife and divisions. There's a word among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Similarly, and, and here's an even longer list, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. For I fear, lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be, and here we go, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting whisperers conceits tumults just all those kinds of not only attitudes but also words and actions surrounding this word Uh, and finally first Timothy 6 verse 4 referring to you know person who's proud knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come here we go again Envy, strive, reviling, evil suspicions. So, Brian, in some ways, you know, what I tend to think of or picture in my mind when I hear all these different kinds of words, particularly when you have hatred, like we used in the previous word, towards someone, you know, getting into heated arguments, right, or people who just want to seem to want to pick a verbal fight, people with a chip on their shoulder. You know, I'm reminded of like scenes, for instance, where you have you know political protesters that have you know two different groups that are at odds with one another and they come into clash and all kinds of contentions and shouting and yelling and screaming and profanity whatever for instance and, and all of these kinds of things again coming from anger hatred etc you know God is saying you yeah, don't do that <laughs> basically you get you know that that is an appeal of a fleshly nature to you know, contend and argue and fight and fuss and, and whatever and he's saying no no that that is something you need to have like we said before self-control not only over your deeds and your words and what you say but also all the way back to the emotion right and the attitude as well
1: definitely and you know you looked at passages in first Corinthians second corinthians first Timothy and to me it just further illustrates how many different times throughout the scriptures and letters that Paul wrote, Peter wrote, and so forth was what we're talking about emphasized. And we see some of the same words, like you were looking at Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20, where it talks about, you know, contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath and those kinds of things. Well, it just further emphasizes that this is something that the Holy Spirit, through the apostle, wanted to emphasize that we must be aware of and that we must cast off.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the next couple words kind of sort of continue and reinforce that, don't they?
1: They definitely do. In fact, uh, the next two are jealousies and outbursts of wrath. So let's start with outbursts of wrath, because that kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about, right? So you, know, you have this hatred. That hatred can lead to contentions, and that can lead to outbursts of wrath. And so when we look at the Greek word, outbursts here, You know, some translations actually use fits of anger or fits of rage, which I like because that kind of really describes what it is. And it comes from the Greek word thumos, ultimately means passion. So, you know, fierceness, indignation. And when you think about, you know, this explosive anger, sometimes something might trigger somebody or as you were talking about, if you're in a protest and somebody throws a bottle and it hits you in the head, well, you're quick reaction might be just to get angry and throw a bottle back or whatever it might be and so you know colossians chapter 3 is another example of where we're told to put these things off it says in verse 8 but now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger wrath malice so we can kind of see how those are all related and it goes on to say blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth and so bible makes it very clear we need to put off these things and we understand why for doing something that is going to lead us to be violent. And that we all understand once you quote unquote lose it, you know, if you get to the point where you have this explosive anger, uh, you're much more likely to do sinful things because you're now losing control. And it just shows you the power of emotions. And on the positive side, you know, we are to have passion in the right way. But boy, if we do not rein that in, it can certainly lead to a lot of different kinds of sins. And so, You know, there's a difference between anger and wrath. And I just want to bring this one point up, Jeff, and and then I'll give you a a chance. You have something to share. You know, the difference between anger and wrath, there's two different words. We talked about, you know, this particular word, thumos. But there's also, so that would be considered wrath. Anger is a different Greek word, orge. and, And this is a word that is talking about something that slowly builds. So it's not something that happens immediate but it slowly builds and it can lead to an outburst once you've just had it. So maybe somebody is bothering you. You're trying to be patient. You're trying to be patient. They're yelling at you. They're making false accusations. You said, I'm not going to let this bother me. Eventually it does start to bother you. If somebody continues to do it. Eventually you get more and more upset. And then eventually. It could lead to an outburst. So, anyhow, uh, just wanted to make those the distinctions there, Jeff, because there's different ways that we can get angry and ultimately have outbursts of wrath.
0: Right. Well, and as I think considerably later on in our discussion, and I think you'd already mentioned already, there are some situations where anger is a perfectly legitimate emotion, you know, righteous anger, righteous indignation, etc. That is, you know, permitted. Although, even in those cases, you're going to have to be careful. Because it can easily trip you up and have you saying things and doing things that are not right and right? going beyond. Did you want to comment some on jealousies?
1: Yeah. So jealousies is you know a word that means zeal when you look at the original Greek, and so in a favorable sense, we're passionate, we want to work hard for the Lord, so that's a a positive type of jealousy. But you know most of us are familiar with the negative type of jealousy, and so. You know, when you are jealous and sometimes, you know, envy is is sort of a companion word that goes along with that. And so, you know, the Bible, when we look at that Greek word, indignation, as you mentioned, the wrong kind of zeal. So in other words, we see somebody that is successful and instead of being happy about it, we're jealous because we want to be that successful. So it turns into a negative emotion. And so over in James chapter three, Uh, Let's look at what verses 13 through 17 say. Uh, Verse 13 begins by saying, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom from a, that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So we see here, and in fact, in many places, this Greek word is actually translated envy. And as I mentioned, there's sort of a, a synonymous term with jealousy. However, we see, also see a contrast here. So we see this contrast of bitter envy, self-seeking boasting, those kinds of things. That's, as it says in verse 15, wisdom from the earth, really it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. In contrast, you know, that wisdom from above is the opposite, right? It's, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield. And more importantly, we're not going to have an attitude like jealousy or envy we're we're going to be thrilled when someone's successful we're going to be thrilled when someone has saved diligently and therefore can buy something that was very important to them that they wanted to buy we should be thrilled about that because that's the kind of you know emotion and, and attitude and mindset if you will that a christian has Not somebody who's, well, I I want that too. I want to keep up with the Joneses, those sorts of attitudes.
0: Well, and I like the way you kind of describe, in many ways, two sides of the same coin. One is, you know, you got something I don't have and I either want it. So I'm going to do whatever I can to take it from you. Or I want it so bad, I'm going to perhaps, you know, start, you know, as we said earlier, you know, covet it, worship it, you know, strive to. Keep up with the Joneses, so I'm going to work lots of overtime, et cetera, or I'm going to do everything with my power to take it away from you. You know, I don't necessarily want it, but you know, I'll, I'll do what I can to sabotage. You know, the fact that you got it, <laughs> for instance. So again, two sides of the same coin.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting too, Jeff. You know, when you have the proper attitude then it leads to more proper attitudes, if you will. So now we end up having a spirit of giving. And so instead of wanting to receive, we want to give, we want to help others. We're more encouraging. So all of these things go together to create that full Christian character. Exactly. Okay, Jeff. So how about selfish ambitions and dissensions, the next two terms that we see? Yeah.
0: The Greek word underneath uh, selfish ambition, I found was a very interesting one. In essence, it or the core meaning is electioneering self-seeking pursuit of a political office by unfair means political intrigue and then maybe in a broader sense putting oneself forward uh factious spirit partisan spirit etc so you know the, the root meaning is interestingly around you know, politics and election and being in, you know, like the court of the king, et cetera, and, and jockeying for position and jockeying for power and, you know, selfishly trying to, you know, a- advance wealth. And of course, within a broader context as well, uh, we see it in other passages like Romans 2 8, where it talks about self seeking. Second uh, Corinthians 12, verse 20, which we've kind of mentioned a couple of times already, again, in a context of backbiting and whispering, gossip, and you know, trying to advance myself and, and my cause, and I'm going to put down you, know, you and, and your cause, etc. James 3, 13 through 16 is an interesting one. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and, here's our word, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast, lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envying and self-seeking exist, again, our word, confusion and every evil thing are there. And likewise, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So, I mean, you know, some of the things we well, at least I naturally tend to to think of, you know, dirty double dealing politics, you know, for instance, or, 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 you know, maybe in a business context, you know, stepping on others to quote unquote, climb the corporate ladder of success. Again, it's seeking of, you know, advancement for oneself, usually at the expense of someone else. And, you know, if I can step on you (laughs) to to make a a step forward, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. Or if I can maybe Spread some lies and gossip and rumor about you, and you start to fall out of favor with friends at school or, or you know, friends at work or whatever. And I can advance my own position with, if you will, within you know our group of friends at at, at school or, or even in the church or at work, whatever. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be putting myself forward, you know, selfishly, regardless of you know quote unquote you know who I step on, so to speak. Brian, you want to add anything?
1: Yeah, just one very brief thing. And that is, you know, when we are self seeking, then logically we are not seeking the best for others. And that's the problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you can easily see, you know, the next word intimately tied into that dissensions from the Greek to stand apart, division, sedition, disunion. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. And notice how, you know, this applies even to quote unquote, you know, Christians, you know, within the church, within local congregation through the Holy Spirit or, or Paul, you know, by means of the Holy Spirit. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. First Corinthians chapter three, verse three, again, within the context of envy and strife and you know in some ways again where my mind tends to go things that are naturally associated with selfish ambition self-seeking false teachers you know looking to gain a following trying to turn people against your enemies gossip splitting the church i mean you name it in fact touching upon the 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 church aspect splitting the church it's exactly what paul you know warned the elders in ephesus uh, acts 20 verse 30 where he says Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So here we have again, dissensions in this overall context of some of these other words, you know, causing division. Maybe it's because you're self-seeking, maybe you have ambition, maybe you, you know, have this strong desire to be first and foremost, like Diotrephes uh, that John referred to. You know creating strife and trouble and again god says no 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 that is a you know selfish desire of your pride for instance uh and not something that you should be about as a christian so you know the bible teaches us jeff to be uniters
1: not dividers if you will and we see that throughout the scriptures and so once again we see this sort of ongoing theme right when we have jealousies and outbursts of wrath and contentions and hatreds and so forth well those are all qualities evil qualities that divide us, and they certainly don't bring us together, which is really what God would like to see.
0: Exactly. And and to your point, I think the next couple words as well are just kind of hammering away at all these different aspects that are closely related.
1: That's right. So heresies, you know, when you think about this term heresies, and once again, some translations use different words like parties and factions and divisions. Uh, In the Greek, it means disunion really is what it means and so it kind of goes along with what we were just saying and you know as you kind of touched on whether it's a political office or somebody that is like diachrophies and just wants that preeminence it's so easy once you start going down this path or if you really like the attention of men that you know you can start to divide a church for instance and you know you start getting people to follow after you and those are you know really what what kind of becomes the end result when you have these terrible works of the flesh. And so for instance, over in second Peter chapter two in verse one, Peter says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So sometimes people are led astray you know, factions are created and so forth, because somebody is just teaching false doctrine. They might firmly believe something, it's false, or maybe they like a certain doctrine, even though it's not in the Bible, they love it so much that they start teaching it to others. And their ultimate goal might be to draw them away so that those members are now following them. Well, all of us can understand that whenever we're trying to draw people away from God, that that's obviously not a good thing and i've always found it interesting jeff you know under the old law even if you had a family member that tried to convince you to follow idols for instance or some false doctrine under the old law the family member was to stone the other family member to death and so i think that really tells us what god thinks about things like heresy exactly
0: well and you see that in its ultimate incarnation in our modern religious world where you have hundreds and thousands of different religious groups all, quote-unquote, claiming to follow Christ, but they're all teaching different things. Right. And all these splinters and divisions and denominations, whatever, and that's certainly not what God would have.
1: Yeah, and we see this uh, word now, envy, which goes back to that, you know, the jealousy is very similar again. This particular Greek word means ill will, having ill will towards others, work of the flesh, something we need to cast off. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, It says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So when it says we ourselves were also, you know, prior to anyone uh, becoming a Christian, there's a good chance that they have some, if not all of these qualities, foolish, disobedient and so forth. And then when you get to the point, as it says here in Titus, where you're serving various lusts and that lust could be attention, that lust could be, uh, you know, a, a desire for power and so forth. Well, then it leads to things like living in malice and envy, being hateful and hating one another, just terrible qualities, right? And, and something that I hope is obvious to all that it, that we need to cast off.
0: Right. And in some ways you can easily see how, you know, these strong uh, emotions, Can easily get out of control, even ultimately to the point of starting to kill one another, right? Which is our next word, murders. And what what does it mean in the Greek? Well, it means exactly what what it says in English. You know, to slay, slaughter, you know, kill someone. And somewhere it's used in this particular you know Greek word, kind of has that usage. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts and murder. Again, Romans 129, Again, within a context of envy and strife, and so you can naturally see situations, and you know we kind of see it in our modern, you know, political environment where you know people get so worked up, anger, hatred, that you know what might start off as a quote-unquote peaceful protest, you know, rapidly turns violent, you know, with people getting injured and killed on you know both sides, to include the police, et cetera. And just, you know, escalates, you know, out of control. And you, we can see that happen and we say, well, that's not right. That's wrong. But interestingly, if you go back to Matthew chapter five, verse 21, like in some of these other things we've mentioned, Jesus condemns, not only the overt act of taking someone else's life, you know, involuntarily, you know, murder, but also being angry without a cause and the name calling and the disdain that, you know, that goes along with it. uh, Matthew chapter five, verse 21. So, you know, if you've never killed anyone, never murdered anyone, you know, don't think you're free (laughs) of this particular problem because if you harbor the anger that leads to it, then you're equally guilty and need to get rid of that too.
1: Yeah, that's such an important point, Jeff. And I'm glad that you brought up that spiritual element because just like adultery, it doesn't mean it's only the physical act. Exactly. It can also be the spiritual. Now, with the next word, Jeff, drunkenness. You know, most people, once again, would probably agree that ah, you, you shouldn't be drunk all the time, but to get a little intoxicated might be okay. So so how about drunkenness? What's the Bible teaches us?
0: Yeah, this, this is an interesting subject. And so I'll kind of start it off with, quote, unquote, the word drunkenness. And then I think you've got revelries. And, yeah. and, you'll, and we'll kind of see how those two kind of bounce off each other. So drunkenness, you know, from the Greek, basically means intoxication. Okay. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, it's within a context of carousings. Now, yeah, we often don't use that word. One dictionary I found. It says, the giddiness and headache caused by drinking wine to excess. That's carousing. (laughs) That's (laughs) interesting. Yeah. Romans 13, 13. It's used there in a context with uh, revelry, which I know you're going to get to in just a moment. Uh, And I think in some cases we can easily see, you know, starting to become intoxicated Going to a bar, bar hopping, drinking parties—what some people might call keggers, where there's you know beer in abundance—many um, New Year's Eve celebrations. You know, we, we can see those kinds of things. In fact, I'm reminded of uh, Proverbs chapter thirty, verse one, that I think very wisely puts it: "Quote, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise." You know, Brian, I I think practically speaking, medically speaking, scientifically speaking, whatever, you know, we understand easily that, you know, consumption of alcohol, you know, starts to inhibit higher brain functions, you know, gives you this sense of freedom. It starts to impair your sense of self-restraint and people start doing things they would just not normally do if they were sober, uh, and, You know, the Bible certainly has a lot of things to say about being, you know, sober minded. And I I think that's more than just, you know, avoiding intoxicants to include, you know, having a very, you know, very serious kind of a nature, but still, can you have a serious nature while you're, you know, under the influence, so to speak? The passage here, first Peter chapter five, verse eight, particularly in terms of the language, the symbolic or figurative language that uses, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So you can easily see, you know, when people start getting into alcohol, marijuana, you know, abusing prescription pain medications, illegal drugs, etc., that, you know, they can easily have their thinking impaired. And in fact, you know, even, even the government recognized that, you know, with uh, traffic laws, you know, under a general term of quote unquote driving while impaired, driving under the influence, you know, not just alcohol, but some of these other things. And we know since it impairs our thinking, you know, it impairs our ability to be sober, impairs our ability to think rationally and prudently and wisely. It's one of those things, again, that God out of love for us says, no, 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 Stay away from that. Don't, you know, don't go there. <laughs>
1: That's right. And so when we think about this term drunkenness, you know, and intoxication and altering our mind with drugs and those kinds of things, well, even at a mild level, that will lead and often does lead to things like revelries. And so when we look at this term revelries in the Greek, it means a carousal, you know, as if letting loose, uh, reveling. Uh, And it can even mean things like rioting. And so in first Peter chapter four and verse three, Peter says, you know, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. And in our world today, we'd say, you know, doing the will of the ungodly when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And so, you know, there's this progression here, Jeff, where we see you know, take somebody that's just kind of started drinking. They're of legal age, that sort of thing. And hey, they're invited. Come on over, have a party. It's just a nice little social gathering. We're just going to have a few drinks and they go over there and they just have a few drinks. It's just like they said, and they start getting intoxicated. And next thing you know, their mind's getting more fuzzy. And now it leads into things like revelries, right? Letting loose. Now, all of a sudden, every weekend, you're going to drinking parties with the intention of getting drunk because, boy, you sure like that. It's a lot of fun. Well, ultimately, it just leads you down a path where you're getting farther and farther away from the Lord. And if you know the Bible condemns that, well, now all of a sudden you're going to despise the truth because it's exposing your evil deeds. So it just takes us down this path where, boy, I tell you, it's hard to come back once you go down that path.
0: Well, and people in our audience may recognize the "quote-unquote" slippery slope, <laughs> which, yes. which I think is exactly a, a slightly different way of saying what what you just said. That yeah, you can start down a path that will take you in some ways further than you want to go, and get you involved in more than you would have ever thought you would have. And, and like we've seen, as you said, with adultery, with murder, and I mean these other things. What God wants us to do is not even start down the path. Don't don't even start with the emotions that would lead you to those overt acts. And again, because He loves us, because He wants what's best for us.
1: That's it. And if we develop a deep love for the Lord, then these things will become abominable to us, and we will have nothing to do with them. Right. And so, you know, this section on works of the flesh wraps up by saying, and the like. The new American standard says, and things like these. So what that's saying is this isn't an all-inclusive list, right, Jeff? I mean, these are just, hey, a few thoughts, but we should be able to make the connection to similar sins and similar emotions and those sorts of things that are works of the flesh.
0: Right, and a lot of things are related to like loss of control or you know, thing, one thing leads to another, for instance. So
1: what's the ultimate... Conclusion. Well, this section finishes in verse twenty-one by saying, "Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God." When it's talking about the kingdom of God here, it's basically saying you're not going to go to heaven if you practice such things. It's a very key principle to understand.
0: Right, and you know, I'm reminded of some religious groups that you know talk about faith only, or once saved, always saved, and that once you've you know professed some initial belief in in Jesus that you're, you know, quote, unquote, saved, uh, eternally secure, whatever. But as you pointed out in these kind of verses here, you know, those who continue to practice these kinds of things or walking according to or living according to, you know, the works of the flesh shall not inherit the kingdom. So that makes it a very uh, serious uh, kind of subject. It definitely does. And so this wraps our
1: study on works of the flesh. And as we've considered things like, you know, uncleanness and lewdness and adulteries and fornications and hatred and contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath, right? We covered a lot, didn't we, Jeff? We just hope to impress upon everyone that as followers of Christ, as Christians, we must actively throughout our life continually cast off anything that's contrary to God's word. And so as it mentions here, not just these things we studied but anything that's similar to that.
0: Exactly. And certainly as as we always like to do, we would refer people back to our website where there is an abundance of material uh, on uh, the topics we've talked about today. In a lot of cases, you may find the actual word uh, in our topical index, like uh, looking under A for adultery and anger, uh, D for drinking and drugs, uh, S for selfishness, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, there's also kind of a general area under C for Christian living, which kind of hits, you know, various uh, topics related to what we have mentioned today. And again, in some ways, we've just kind of touched the surface because there's, uh, you know, again, a lot of uh, interaction between these various sins that, again, we would encourage everyone to go to our website, uh, do some studying, look up the scriptures for yourself, Uh, And most importantly, try to make application to your life as we all strive to serve God. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions
1: podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.